<clears throat> Jeremiah 29. It's a popular, a well-known verse of Scripture in verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Father, we pray this evening that as we have our service, that your, you and your spirit would be here, that you would guide us through the verses, through the scripture, to encourage, to, to strengthen us in Jesus' name, that each one of us would become more like your son. We pray, Father, that each one of us would grow into the image that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this verse is very popular in our I guess what I would call Christian culture today, there's a lot of gift cards, uh, greeting cards that have this verse on them. And you can see why. It's a, it's a great encouragement. This is God talking to his people. And he's telling them that he is thinking good things toward them. He has a reward and he, there is an expected end. You know, with God, you really want to have these kind of words said about you because he has such power. He has the ability to make wonderful things happen in your life and to hear, to read his words that I have an expected end for you and it's thoughts of peace. Anytime there's somebody over you in a position of authority, whether it's your parent, your boss, somebody that can make your life miserable or make your life very well, it's nice to hear that they think of you in good terms like this. But there is a danger in this verse because in our, a lot of Christian circles, this is kind of, kind of taken out of context. This verse is written, is spoken to the Israelites under the following conditions. They are just now being sent from Israel, Jerusalem. God has brought their enemies, the Babylonians, to surround them, to siege and to remove them off their land and to carry them to their enemy's country. And they, of course, are panicked. They're thinking, this ain't supposed to happen. We're the chosen people. You part the Red Sea for us. You drive out nations before us. You do everything for us. But they had disobeyed him for so long, God decided that it was time to teach them something by a means that they wouldn't listen any other way. They would not listen to his prophets his messengers, they stoned, killed, imprisoned those people. In fact, Jeremiah, who wrote this message, was put in the dungeon because he kept telling the people this message. God is removing you. Don't fight against the Babylonians because he's on their side for right now. If you fight against them, you'll die. What you need to do is when you, they take you to Babylon, plant trees, plant vineyards, because you're going to be there for 70 years. If you think back at this time, people were not living 800, 900 years like they did in the book of Genesis. They, they were probably, 80 years was probably quite old for a person back then. So to be told that 70 years is how long you're going to spend there, that's a death sentence. Not that you're dying in a prison, but you're going to die away from home. Die in a strange foreign land, listening to a foreign tongue that you don't even understand. But God was telling them, I've passed this judgment on you, but understand this, there is an expected end. You may not like what the next year holds, next five, next ten, next twenty years, but 
if you have a big picture, at the end of it, I have good thoughts for you guys. Something for your peace, for your prosperity, to give you an expected end. You know, we all want that, don't we? Uncertainty, not knowing, drives the human psyche kind of crazy when we don't know what to expect. That's what brings fear. That's what brings just uh, too much, really, emotion when we don't understand what's coming around the next curve. But an expected end, when you know what's coming, I can, I always think of, I'm pretty good at dirty jobs. I clean out hog sheds at father-in-law's for many years, and I could always do that pretty good because I knew as soon as I get this done, I can go to the swimming pool, I can go golfing, whatever it is, I, I just got to get this clean. I can see the finish line. I am terrible at a two-mile run because I can't see the finish line. My motivation goes through the basement because I can't see the end. Where is it? I run a mile and a half, it feels like I've run 20. And I still can't see the finish line. Human beings, when we know how far it is, when we know that we're close to the end, that's when you hold on. You can even run without breath the last 30 steps. Why? Because, you know, as soon as I get there and collapse, I'll get my breath back. But I can go these last 30 steps with nothing in my lungs if I have to. Well, God is letting them know. may not be the best thing you go through here, but understand there's an expected end. That's why he told them a definite time, 70 years. Now, if you follow this story, you get to the book of Daniel. Daniel was a young man at the beginning of the 70. At the end of the 70 years, Daniel is reading Jeremiah, and he realizes, my goodness, God promised 70 years, and all those marks on the wall were up to almost 70 years. We're about done with this. And that's what encouraged Daniel. He starts praying. This isn't to go to that, area, to that part of the Bible, but when you understand the finish line, well, there's a lot of places in the Bible we could go to to get a good example of what we're talking about here, somebody's life. But let's go to Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Because Joseph, as a young man, was given some dreams. Dreams that were not just to tell him maybe who he might marry, which would be nice, the dreams weren't just maybe what his occupation would be, which is nice to know when you're a 17-year-old. But these dreams were given to let him know that before his life ended, his brothers, his family, they would bow down and basic in almost worship him. That he would be in such a position of authority. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9, He dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. If you know your Bible at all, you know Joseph had eleven brothers. There were twelve of them. Twelve boys all together. And he's saying that obviously well, what this dream means is the eleven stars and the sun and the moon, which his father is going to confirm in the next verse that his father and his mother are the sun and the moon, and they're all bowing down to him. See, in verse 10, he told it to his father, to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Even his father knew the meaning of it. Now, 
Think of that. Joseph, the Bible tells us in the beginning of this chapter, he's 17 years old when this happens. 17, that's pretty young. In a lot of people's instance, there's a lot of immaturity to be told something like that. And you can argue, you can make the case that maybe Joseph should have kept his mouth shut, shouldn't have told his brothers that (laughs) someday your knees are going to be dirty because you're going to be down on the ground worshiping me. I'm going to be in a position of authority. Whatever you think of that, he did tell them. He even told his dad. What I want to concentrate on tonight is God can talk to all of us. It's very unlikely that he's going to tell you exactly what you're going to do tomorrow and what's going to happen the next week and the week after that. There's really no example in the Bible where he gives a day-to-day written in the sky, the clouds form to tell you, I should go buy meat at the grocery store today. He may give once in a while something specific like that, but in general terms, he gives you a direction in life. And sometimes he does tell you something very specific. Go talk to that neighbor, and I want you to tell them such and such. But for the most part, God doesn't give us the details of what happens between here and the finish line that he has showed us. Maybe you have prayed. Maybe God has shown you something in your life that you know God has for you. Maybe it's on the job. There's a position he is directing you toward. Maybe there is some type of thought, an idea that you are to create. You don't know how to get there, but you know, God has put this in my power. I'm going to be good at this. But how to get there? What takes place between when you're given this dream and when it comes to pass? And that's where the human frailty comes in, because we get down here to verse 20. And Joseph has gone out to check on his brothers, and his brothers see him coming. His dad had the last two boys, Joseph and Benjamin, with Rachel. Rachel was his favorite, and Joseph and Benjamin were his two favorite boys. And Joseph has this coat of many colors that his dad has given him. And in verse 20, the brothers say, Come now, therefore let us, does it really say that? Slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And we'll see what will become of his dreams. That's flesh and blood, people. Those are the closest people on earth. At least in my instance. I have three brothers. Those guys, they would come as close to dying for me as anybody on earth. And me for them. And that's a fact. These brothers are plotting not just to, let's give him a swirly in the toilet. Let's beat his arm until it turns red. Or maybe shave an eyebrow or something off while he's sleeping. They're sharpening the knives. They're going to kill him. Now, I ask you a question. Joseph had a dream that these same brothers would one day bow down to him. Is he getting closer? Or is he getting farther away from his dream? Because see, when he gets up there to those brothers, they don't say, Joseph, how you doing? We got something. We got some nice oatmeal here over the fire. Set yourself down. No, they grab him. They bind him up. And they put him in a, a dungeon, a, a pit, and they're going to end up selling him just to make some profit, let somebody else kill him. They're going to sell him into slavery. doesn't sound like that God-inspired dream is getting any closer, and you've got to keep reminding yourself that. Joseph knows 
God gave me that dream. That's supposed to happen in my life. So do you think it comes as maybe a little bit of a shock when the brother's hands start grabbing limb by limb, squeezing, holding you down, and they pull the duct tape out? He knows that this is not supposed to happen. And in our lives, when we have prayed about something, or God has shown us something, and it goes the other direction, that's when it's hard to not give up. The, the, the human mind is a, is a, it's a powerful thing. You get alone with your own thoughts, and you think, man, I had a bad day on the job today. For some reason, my I didn't do anything, but my boss thinks I did that thing wrong. I could get fired. Or that person now, they don't like me. They're, they were my best friends. What happens if I lose that friendship? You start to get anxiety, and you can give up even. You can get down to such a point where you forget about what God told you at the beginning about what your expected end is supposed to be. And here's what you learn about reading the Bible. God does not promise that from the beginning to the finish line that it's one smooth step after another. That's nowhere in the Bible. What he does tell us is that every time that floor disappears and the earth opens up and you fall down into a pit, he'll be down there waiting. He will be there with you. And it's our job to recognize what? That God hasn't cut this off. Just because it's not going the way I thought, that doesn't mean that, well, God has left me. I I must have screwed up somehow. I did something to really offend God, and and I know he used to like me, but man, now he hates me. Yes, we do. If we sin, we do need to confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us, but you don't live with that thought that God hates us. You're his child. He sent the most precious thing he has in the world to bleed on a cross to win you back. And if you're his, you'll see what we have in this story with Joseph. His brothers, the closest people to him, sell him. Now he goes down into slavery. And in chapter 39, verse 1, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And there are some powerful words there. He's nowhere near where God told him he would be. He's not even going in the right direction as far as the earthly mind can detect. As far as he knows, he will never see his brothers, his father again. He's been sold into Egypt. It's not a $1 bus fare to get from Canaan to Egypt back then. This is a long trip. And he's been taken there in chains. He's sold as a slave. And yet, even what would go in the wrong direction, that would be akin to us say, you do lose your job one day. Or you get a terrible doctor's report. You're not headed in the right direction. Still says that the Lord was with Joseph He was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Even if you're not in the place that you're supposed to be, God can make you very prosperous, and he can be with you. And people, that makes all the difference. The Bible says that David said in Psalms that he would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than be somewhere up high 
in an evil place. Just being one of God's people, as long as he's with you, it doesn't matter where you're at. It really doesn't. You're going to see this throughout his story. No matter where he's at in people, he goes to the worst. The worst of the worst. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Do you know that it's possible that the favor of God can be on your life in such a degree that even the sinners around you realize, you know what? I like being around that person because even God helps that guy. There's always something good that happens in his presence. When we're around him, we, we enjoy ourselves. There's a favor on his life. This sinner could tell. He knew whatever Joseph touches, God prospers that person. Sometimes, sometimes it's even visible on a person. Now Joseph gets put in charge at this Pharaoh's house. And in chapter 39 here, when you look down at verse 10, that his wife begins to plot. Potiphar's wife likes Joseph. She has a little bit of a lust problem. And in verse 10, it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I'll tell you what that verse screams at me. Joseph is, from the time he got his dream, and there's that image, that picture, that mental image, all right, I know what God has for me. There's a baseball bat that hits him square across the jaw from the moment he got it. His dad rebuked him. His brothers rebuked him. They duct taped that cat, put him in a hole, and sold him to slaves, as slaves. From the moment he got his dream, he went in the opposite direction. And yet, did he think, God, well, God's given up on me. I just will give up on God. I'm, I'm not going to follow that stuff. He, why should I give up some pleasure here? He has nothing good for me. I'll turn my back on him. He, he's done nothing for me. You see nothing of that in Joseph. See, you're getting a glimpse into his mind in this story. He knows God is still with me. I'm, I'm going to still obey him. I'm going to serve him no matter where I'm at. And you talk about a reward for doing that. It came to pass, verse 13, when she had left, when he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house, and now she begins to lie about him. And she gets the charges brought up that he attacked me. And because of that, Joseph gets falsely accused, falsely convicted, and he's falsely in prison. Now, he's gone from being a slave, which isn't very nice. Nowhere in the world do you ever want the title of slave, except, well, in the Christian kingdom, the Bible sometimes speaks that we are a, a bondservant. In any other place, you don't want to be a slave. Joseph went from slave to dungeon. Way worse. He is now in a dungeon. People, you think prison is bad now. People, I have no desire to spend one evening in a prison. Never. Back then, no air conditioning, no cable TV, no decent food, no clean water, water nothing. Probably no doctors down there. I can't imagine what the fatality rate would have been in those cesspools in dungeons, prisons back then. 
And Joseph gets sent there while he's innocent. Now, you want to take a person and watch some bitterness grow? What are the environment, the conditions to have bitterness and resentment grow? Right here. You'll never see one verse of Scripture in any of this story where Joseph ever lets that get inside of him, not even a little bit. Tell you what, right, my brothers that have done something like that to me, that's all you could think about. That's all you would be able to think about. Well, now in chapter 40, Joseph is here in this dungeon, and he's been here a little bit. And it tells us that there are two people that work for Pharaoh, a butler and a baker. They get in the favor, the Pharaoh's disfavor, and they get sent to this prison. While they're down there, they have dreams themselves. And the butler has this dream, and in chapter 40, verse 10, he tells him what the dream was. And in verse 12, Joseph says unto him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee to thy place. You shall deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand. And after the former manner, when thou wast his butler, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. And he interprets this dream for the butler. It happens just like he said. Now, before you get on past the meaning of that, it happened just like he said. What's that evidence of? That God is still working in Joseph's life. See, we need to be good at that. There's none of us in here that are probably exactly where we want to be in life. Whether it be our station, our job, relationship, whatever it is. We all think, man, I, I, I thought I'd be a little better at this point. Maybe I, I thought I might have a better car, so, something. What you need to do in your life is look for the places where you can see God's hand working as encouragement. He's still with me. He's still with me. And why is that important? Because you never know how fast God can get you from the dungeon to the throne. Verse 15, For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. He knows he's innocent. And the chief baker saw the interpretation was good. He said unto Joseph, uh, let's see, we'll skip what the baker says, but he interprets his dream, and his interpretation isn't so good. The baker thought, well, that butler got a pretty good interpretation. I'll go ahead and tell him what mine was. But the baker's interpretation is, in three days from now, you're going to have your head removed. And that comes to pass. So Joseph, God has given him the interpretation of those two dreams. It's, he, he is still working in his life, and that's important. It's important to remember that even though Joseph is down there, he, it has to be an encouragement to him. God is, as well as he ever has, he's given me this there's something about dreams that he, he works with me. Look at the first verse, chapter 41. Remember, the baker, the butler, they were supposed to tell Pharaoh, there's a guy down there. He doesn't belong down there. And it says, and it came to pass after how long? 
two full years. People, that'd be a long time wondering, what's that butler doing up there? That guy is in Pharaoh's palace. Where's he at? Because you didn't just have him step on your hand to help him get out of that dungeon. You interpreted the dream. And if he would just tell Pharaoh. So two years. Well, what happens here in chapter 41 is, Mr. Pharaoh has a dream. He has a dream that has, we'll just skip to the interpretation, that there is going to be coming seven years of plenty where their land is going to produce like crazy. And after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh has this dream, and it troubles him. He didn't know what to do. And in chapter 41, he's asking his people, well, I need somebody to help me with this dream. And then the butler remembers. The butler remembers, uh, sir, there's a guy down there in the dungeon, and he helped me with my dream. I think you need to go get him. And that's what they do. They bring Joseph from the dungeon up to the palace to interpret this dream. And he has no problems it's just like every other dream he's dealt with. See, what God did with Joseph when he was 17, and as he was a shepherd with his brothers, it's the same thing God did with Joseph when he was down in the dungeon. It's the same thing God did when he is standing before Pharaoh. He's good at interpreting dreams. What are you good at? How does God work in your life? He can use that anywhere Anywhere. You may think, well, I, I got, since I'm going to be at this station of my job, I've got two, three years where, relax, take it easy, I don't even have to read my Bible, don't even need my relationship with God because he's, he's done with me as long as I'm here. You should never think that way. God used Joseph and his dream interpretation no matter where he was. Didn't matter who he was standing in front of. So he tells Pharaoh, here's what has happened, buddy. You better store up all the grain that is raised in the first seven years because after that, seven years of famine are coming and everybody is going to starve unless you're prepared. So Pharaoh says, we've we got to find somebody, somebody to oversee the duration of these 14 years. And he decides Joseph, this guy standing before him. And man, it's, a, it's, it's not the best part of this story, but if you currently today are sitting in a dungeon... It is the best because it was overnight. Joseph got out of that mess in an hour. See, our condition is wherever we find ourselves in a place that we don't like, that we didn't expect, we think, well, God has to go through all the same steps that got me here. He's got to reverse those one by one to get me out. I mean, that, that's how my human mind works. That woman lied on me and got me in prison, and the baker and the butler, they forgot about me. We have to go through, you don't have to go through any of those. God has a different way out like that, and it's a way that you could never envision. That's what's so amazing about the stories in the Bible. God turns the table so fast, so quickly. The reward can come so fast, literally overnight. Your circumstances can change. If you're going through something tough, that is the best part of this story. But that's not where this thing ends, because his expected end is, those people, they're going to bow down to me. And now he's getting closer. He's now in a position, he's going to be in a position of authority. 
Now as you get close and you see the finish line, that's when you've got to be careful. Because you sometimes let your guard down or you get a little too giddy and you start acting out of character. The famine is sore in Canaan where Joseph's brothers and family reside. And dad, Jacob, says, boys, we're starving here. Why should we sit here waste away? You guys go to Egypt. We've heard they've got corn down there. Go buy us some so that we don't starve. So Jacob sends his 11 boys and they go down there. And they go down there and, of course, as they come in to go get corn, who do they have to see? they got to go talk to little baby brother. Only the problem is he was 17 when they put him in that dungeon. Some 20 years have passed. And they don't recognize him. Number one, their expectations are the guy's probably dead. They're not even looking for him. So when he's standing right in front of him, they don't recognize. But Joseph grew up speaking that language. And as those brothers are talking back and forth to themselves, he understands every word. And there's a, a place here in, what is it, chapter, chapter 43. Is it chapter 43? Uh, chapter 42, starting around verse 13, they tell Joseph why they have come there, that they are the brothers of one man who lives in Canaan, and behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. See, they think he's dead. And Joseph has to stand there and hear that, from his brothers. So Joseph comes up with this plan. And he is going to send them back home. He wants to work it out so that they have to bring Jacob. He wants to see his dad. And he wants to see Benjamin also. And he works it out that they have to go home and bring dad and Benjamin here. And we're not going to go through the particulars of that story. But if you look in verse 22... The brothers are standing before Joseph, and Reuben answered them, the other brothers, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. You see, they're rehashing. Boys, you know why we're in such trouble here? It's because we killed our brother. I told you guys, let's at least just make sure he is taken care of, but we'll just get rid of him. But you guys wouldn't listen. You wanted to kill him. And Joseph, it says in verse 23, They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. He can understand every word they're saying. And they're reliving the day when they sold him into slavery, when they thought they had killed him. Now you see, remember, he's close to the finish line here. You know, Joseph could have ruined everything by ordering in the hangman, bringing them in here and hanging every one of those guys. If he had let spite, bitterness, envy take over, and he probably would never have seen his dad. He would not have been reunited with his family. But Joseph kept the faith at all times. He does not act out of character. He stays with the godly beliefs. So he works it out. They've got to go home, and they've got to bring back the rest of the family. Well, let's go to chapter 45. Chapter 45, and in verse 1, 
Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them, all his brethren, brethren, that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. I can't even imagine the looks on those eleven brothers' faces. This guy is the most powerful person. Pharaoh left everything to Joseph. When we talk about Joseph being restored from the dungeon to a good place, he went to the highest. Second in command. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth at this time. And they're getting more powerful. They're the only ones with food. Everybody has to come to them, sell their livestock, sell even their kids to them to purchase food. Joseph is that powerful. And they're looking at at the man they thought they conspired to kill. For they were troubled at his presence, the understatement of the story, in the end of verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore do not be grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. You want to underline something in this story? You talk about a mature individual. No sign of bitterness, of revenge. He knows that why is the reason he's there? God's hand was on this. Now, people, I want to be careful. I never want to put forth the assumption on people that God is responsible for every detail of your life. I don't think that's healthy. We all have terrible things that happen. We all have choices that we make. God did not cause Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They chose. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that God came down and renegotiated the fact that, well, I'll take away your personal will and I'll be in charge of everything you do. It doesn't say that. So I don't want people to think that, well, God caused this to happen in my life. I don't know if he did or not. He definitely, definitely does intervene in your life if you're his kids. Absolutely. But we still, we have the consequences of our decisions, without a doubt. And God doesn't make me brush my teeth in the morning. I do that. Or I don't do that. Joseph, however, in this story, he realizes that sold into slavery, Potiphar's wife lying on him, he goes into the dungeon, The butler and the baker come down there. He interprets their dreams. Eventually that word gets to Pharaoh. Pharaoh brings him up and restores him to this position of authority to where his brothers now are in a position to be saved. You see, if Joseph doesn't interpret the dream for Pharaoh, if they don't store up the food, the whole region's in a famine. Joseph understands, God sent me before you. That's an amazing statement. You guys didn't do this. They made the decision, but Joseph is willing to cut them some slack. God, he's looking at it through God's eyes. God is using this. He used your evil decision to preserve our family. 
For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I wonder at what point in time did the brethren have something come into their head. That dream he told us when he was 17 years old. That we'd all bow down to him. We made fun, we laughed, even dad laughed at him. I wonder at what point did that ever kick in? Because right about here, Joseph knows it's coming. As soon as he saw those guys coming in that food line, he had to have known. It's, it's kicking in here. We're almost to the finish line of my expected end. You see, what I want to get across to us tonight, God has an expected end for us. For us as a church, for individuals as believers, what you do as just an individual human being. If you have breath in this, in you, you know that you have purpose, and we're all different. There's a purpose for each one of us that's different. That is the our expected end. But what happens between today and whenever that expected end manifests, materializes? There can be a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> there can be a lot of ending up in a dungeon overnight. There can be a lot of getting lied on getting falsely accused, falsely convicted, falsely imprisoned. I'm not trying to discourage anyone, just the opposite. Where Whatever happens in life, wherever we end up going, in every, in every situation, the Bible said, and the Lord was with Joseph. He got him to that expected end. But you know, it would have been possible for Joseph to abort all of that. It tells us in the New Testament, Galatians 6, 9, that we should not become weary in well-doing, for if we faint not, what will happen? We'll reap. But it says, if you faint not. You can't grow weary in your mind, and that's where quitting always starts, in the mind. You can't give up and walk away, because God will not just grab you by the back of the neck and force you into his plan. He never does that. He's a gentleman. The Bible also says, Hebrews 12, uh, 12, 3, that Jesus is the author, comma, and the finisher of our faith. We start with Jesus when we are born again, and we get a whole new pattern for our life. And again, it may not all be roses, but he's the author of that. That means he starts it. He's the beginner, but he's the finisher. See, Jesus knew he knew he was, his job was to pay the penalty for mankind for sin. There were days when the people were chanting, let's make this guy the king. Let's make him our king. Hosanna to the king. And a couple days later, what are they chanting? Crucify that guy. Crucify. You should always be on the lookout of God's hand on your life. Always. Because that will get you through anything. It doesn't matter if you're one of the three Hebrew children going through the fire. God can show up there. He can get you through. It gets good right after the darkest time. 
Sunrise is always a good thing. And that's what we're shooting for. Don't know when that's going to be for you, for me, but we keep walking step after step after step. And we keep praying to God, make sure we stay on his side, because if he walks with us, we can handle anything. Father, we pray over each person here. Lord, we pray over their life. We pray over the expected end that you have for them. That whatever that may be for them in their life, wherever it is supposed to materialize, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage them to keep the faith, to continue walking with you. Lord, we pray that each one of us would be faithful to the end, that we would be faithful to our calling. In Jesus' name, amen.